Hello, audio-only listener. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. This is a recording of a live podcast episode that aired live on YouTube. We usually go live at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesdays. That being said, we may be making references to things that can only be seen on screen. Don't worry, you're not going to miss out on any information because of this. Just some things may not make sense because we're making a reference to something that is on screen. And with that out of the way, thank you so much for joining us and enjoy the episode. Good evening, everyone. What do we do when you have a bunch of heretics who are denying the divinity of Christ <laughs> and trying to put everybody back under the Torah? Well, better call Paul, right? Wow. <laughs> if I had known you were going to make that as an intro, I would have barred you from doing an intro. <laughs> okay. All right. So that's the foot we're stepping on. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's that's where we're going tonight. That's what I feel like doing. This is this is where we're at. <laughs> wow. All right. Um, okay. <laughs> Thank, thanks for the surprise. That was right. <laughs> Ah, you guys know what we do here. We uh, we talk about the controversial things, and this is going to be the first in a series. Obviously, better call Paul. Um, and so we're, we'll be discussing Paul's letters, uh, Paul's teachings, and a lot of the misconceptions about them. Um, so this will be interesting, and uh, we'll have a good time. Yeah, so basically the whole point, um, is, you know, Paul wrote a lot of letters because uh, he was addressing a lot of issues. So the communities that he was going to, obviously, was like, well, we don't know what to do. So sort of a better call, Paul, sort of situation. Uh, but yeah, so this is a new series. This, the idea is to correct all of the misunderstandings as much as we can and as, and as many parts as it takes to do this. Um, and as always, before we get started, uh, and this is the introduction episode, so we're going to cover sort of the groundwork, the foundation. Uh, you know, Probably not going to go too deep tonight. No, not tonight. Uh, you know, we're going to cover some some overarching topics that need to be had moving forward in the series. Right. Um, and so there, there's going to be some good good points here. So have notes ready, right? And but uh, as always, before we get too deep, what are you drinking tonight? So tonight I'm deciding to try something. Uh, I've, I've, I've had a shot of it before, but I will be sipping it tonight. So we'll see how it sips as opposed to a shot. This is called Screwball. If I can get the camera to focus. Oh, there it is. It is a peanut butter flavored whiskey. What? Yes. Ew. <laughs> yeah, no. And when you take a shot of it, it's like it, it really it gets that peanut butter flavor, my man. You. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm having some of this. Man, it is it is that ring light is like far too bright. You can't see it, and my camera's frozen uh, on a on a on a zoom to keep it from doing weird stuff with the lighting. Uh, this is called the Dalwini. You can barely see. It. It's a 15 year Irish, uh, excuse me, Highland single malt Scotch. Um. And it's been a while since I've tasted this one, so I kind of was like, let's do it. 
Absolutely. So, no, yeah, I really do like this dude. Like it, 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 it sounds weird, but it's way better than you would think. Which I'm, and I'm a peanut butter fanatic anyway, so I guess that's biased. But I think you'd like it. I um, I don't know. I, I I'm not even a huge fan of peanut butter already. So kind of like, it just seems weird. I don't know. I'll tr- I'll try it. Whatever. I'm yeah. I'm coming down to your house tomorrow. Screw it. I'll try it. All right. <laughs> I'll be waiting. <laughs> I bet you will. <laughs> Just like you surprised me with that intro, I'm about to just knock on your door tomorrow. What are you going to do? <laughs> do it. Do it. You won't. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he says when he wants me to. <laughs> so, Paul's letters. Um, this will actually be a good time to uh, address to address something that has been done with our words on the gospel of John, right? Because I, 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 I feel like a lot of it was either, well, I, I, you know what, I'm not even going to say our words on John were misunderstood. Uh, Cause you can blatantly tell from everybody who's commentated on it so far, they didn't watch the whole thing. Um, but so that we don't come off as, appearing as though we're against Paul's letters. Understand, our position is not against Paul's letters. Um, rather, actually, we we make heavy use of Paul's letters uh, in our theology uh, and in the defense of our theology because they're very Pharisaic. Um, but we have to be honest from a scholarly perspective about Paul's letters. And that I think was missed in some of the some of what we said about about John. Um, we've had a few people comment on it so far, and all of them are 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 skewing their commentary in such a way as though they think that we are like anti Gospel of John, which couldn't be farther from the truth. Uh, again, if they had watched the whole the whole episode, they would see that we actually make an extreme defense for our position from the Gospel of John. Um, but we're, we're trying to be scholarly consistent with respect to the compilation of these texts and, you know, approach them from from an actual honest uh, scholarly perspective. A lot of what we're trying to do, too, is inform everybody as well uh, on the different positions in the scholastic world concerning like the document of John, for example. Um, the reason why, you know, like we spend some time talking about the different way it could be translated and, uh, you know, other such things, <clears throat> uh, and some other issues, uh, with its authorship and whatever timeline we, we go over that information just to lay the groundwork that there is no reason for us to accept John the way that it is, but we still do. And, 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 and we just want to make everyone aware that there's more to the story and, but we still accept John the way that it is, right? We just need to right. lay a, a little bit of groundwork. I understand why that could be misconstrued. And it's the same with Paul. We, we do this with Paul a lot. We go through his letters and we lay down some foundation, some groundwork, just to kind of let everyone know um, from the scholastic perspective what's out there. Like, honestly, you know, we, we can't just blindly accept everything that we read in the New Testament and say, well, uh, I'm just going to believe everything it says because it says that, you know, we're, we're told to test everything. And that includes the things that are in uh, the scriptures themselves and you know so right we, we just try to be thorough with you and and everything so that being said i'm glad you brought that up um because one of the things that moving forward for the series <clears throat> we're going to try and 
dissect and 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 put Paul back into perspective using Paul's own own words. So um, I've got him up here uh, ready to go. <laughs> I just realized uh, the the command prompt at the bottom of the screen. <laughs> Nice. Um, Our producer's having fun with this. <laughs> it's awesome. All right. So that being said, uh, there are two classifications of Paul Pauline letters for the purposes of the series. Three, actually. Three. Excuse me. I usually just do two. Um, but well, so they're separated into two groups, um, yeah. which is disputed and undisputed. But even within this, the disputed letters, there are two groups. Yeah. And there's. It's a subsect. Uh, so right. we're going to be primarily drawing a lot of our information from as much. We're going we're gonna to lean heavily on the non-disputed letters as much as possible. Right. We are going to talk about the disputed letters. We are going to lean on them for good information at times. Uh, and we do accept their position within the New Testament. We're not, we're not dismissing the disputed letters. But we are saying from a scholastic level, when we try it for this series, when we're going to recreate the, the Paul of history... We are going to lean heavily on scholastically accepted material, such as the non-disputed letters. Uh, and I've got them listed down here. Those letters, there are only seven non-disputed. Uh, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, 1st Thessalonians, Philippians, and Philemon. Those are our non-disputed letters. And what that means is we basically like minus a, a very select fringe few of scholars, it is almost unanimous that these letters are absolutely pawed by pen or penned by Paul. <laughs> penned by Paul. Uh, and it's like, it's not even in dispute. There's no question. We know he wrote these letters. And I, so I, I think it's important and I'm glad that you started with that. Um, it, it is important to note that yes. Okay. It, it's the nature of scholars to dispute anything. Um, yeah. And naturally, in a world uh, where there is anti-religious bias, you're going to have scholars uh, who do dispute even what are called the non-disputed letters, but they are an extreme minority. Um, and that's important when it comes to really uh, understanding the gravity with which the disputed letters are disputed, right? Um, if if anybody comes at you sideways and was like, well, the, they're not really that disputed. It's like, no, that's the non-disputed letters that are not really that disputed. Um, the reason that the disputed letters are actually separated into two separate groups is because of the degree with yeah. which they are disputed. Um, so you have the, the Deuteropauline letters, uh, which are uh, Colossians, uh, and first, uh, yeah, Ephesians, Colossians, and first and second Thessalonians. Um, yes. and, and these, these are, are yeah, go ahead. Yeah, they're 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 disputed, uh, semi widely uh, disputed. Uh, but then the pastoral letters, first and second Timothy and Titus, these are extremely widely disputed, yeah, right? It, it, it's not a little bit, it's a lot, it's a lot of it. <laughs> <clears throat> it's it is a lot of it um and uh so you know again we we can, later on when we get to uh an episode that we'll cover a little bit like in, from some of these disputed letters uh we'll go into our position like later on on, on what we think uh may may have happened historically um right, right but 
it, right now it's beyond the scope of this first episode. We just want to uh, establish that our first, that we're doing the non-disputed letters as our primary source. Uh, because once again, we know, we basically accept and know for a fact that Paul penned these letters. And it's based on these letters, by the way, the pattern, the language, um, that we look at some of the other, like the, the disputed letters, we look at them and we say, well, they're, they're quite different. Uh, and we know Paul wrote these. And so we can, we can put them side by side and go, okay, well, so not only do we not know if Paul wrote this, but it's different. Like it, it, it reads different. It has different wording and there's a reason for that. We have a, uh, a reason on why we think that that is. Um, but, uh, again, that's not the purpose of this episode. So point number one. Paul misunderstood. Why is he misunderstood? <laughs> <clears throat> the number one reason that Paul is, is misunderstood uh, is because he was a Pharisee. Boom. Like that's that is that is as as simple as it gets. And you know, Peter Peter alludes to this in 2 Peter 3:16. Now, I'm sure there's disputes over that letter, too. Um, <laughs> however, um, and this is something, This again, this is one of those details that that's, it, it's missed, but it's like staring you right in the face. So Peter says uh, that the uneducated and unstable twist Paul's words to their own destruction. Um, now, what I, I ask this question all the time. What formal education existed at the time that Peter seems to be indicating was necessary to understand the position from which Paul was speaking? Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here um, and say that it was not the Greek gymnasiums. Um, no. <laughs> for, for, for sure not. <laughs> uh, the, the only scriptural education that existed at this time would have come from a rabbi, right? A Pharisee. That's important. So at some point in the series, too, we're going to go over in serious depth, like what it takes to be a Pharisee. And it is by no means like it is a very competitive, very, very competitive market. Uh, the Pharisee schools um, we're talking to 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 earn the title Pharisee. We're, we're talking like the ancient Harvard of yeshiva of ancient yeshivas uh yeshiva is a, like a hebrew university um these people usually get selected as children to go to a uh to, to go to study under another pharisee and, and and they get pushed to to graduate if they can make it it's again very competitive um and not everyone makes it out usually uh maybe one in three will actually fully graduate um, so it's it's a very difficult you know, and that's if you get selected just to go to the school um, and, and you start as a very young boy. So, but as, as you pointed out, so like, not only do we have a, a disconnect from the Pharisees, uh, very few Christians understand what Phariseeism is. The only thing they think of when they hear Pharisee is hypocrite. Like they, the, the prejudice against Phariseeism is another aspect of what has mis, has led to this misunderstanding of, of Paul entirely. Once we've dismissed that he's a Pharisee, which again, he speaks in the present tense every time he brings it up. Yep. Um, so he lived and died a Pharisee. He always identified himself as a Pharisee currently. 
Yep. Um, this is especially true some 20, 25, almost 30 years later uh, in Acts chapter 21, uh, where he's sitting, standing before the Sanhedrin on trial, and he says, I am a Pharisee. And we're talking, I mean, this is like 60-something uh, possibly CE. So, you know, we're, this is not like early on in his ministry and he later gives it up. No, a Acts 21 is so far into the future. Yeah, no, and anybody who tries to preach that, you know, Paul was a Pharisee and then, you know, he had the experience at the Damascus Road and that's when he became a Christian and stopped being a Pharisee and that's why he changed his name to Paul instead of Saul. Um, none of that is true. None of that is remotely even close to being true. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't change his name. It was rather commonplace, uh, especially in the diaspora to have a community name, your given name, right? The name that your parents named you, the Hebrew name. Um, and then a Greco sounding name, right? Something that's that that sounds similar enough, uh, but is easier for non Hebrew speaking Greeks to say. Uh, uh, he was so, a Roman citizen. So we had to have a Roman name, basically, right? Yeah. So we had both names, uh, and that's another, we'll get into that a little bit. That's another disconnect. Shaul or Shaw didn't become Paul at the road to Damascus. That's not what happened. He was always either or. He had both names at the same time for most of his life, if not his entire life. Uh, Johnny F., how was Paul uh, conversant with Greek philosophy if he didn't have an education at a Greek gymnasium? A very good question. The answer is actually incredibly simple. So we know Paul's rabbi, and we're going to get into this a little bit later. Paul's rabbi was the famous Rabban Gamliel, um, who is written extensively about in the Talmud and the Mishnah, uh, ancient Jewish literature. And we know that Gamliel trained all of his students in the basics of Greek philosophy because he believed that in order for you to have a back and forth conversation, with the outside world you needed to be familiar with the outside world and not just live in your jewish bubble um and so him being raised at the feet of gamliel makes sense because uh, gamliel did teach his students that that kind of thing at least on a basic level and in fact uh paul gets made fun of it later on in acts uh when he he uh travels to athens and he tries to utilize a little bit of his basic philosophy knowledge and uh they make fun of him because it's obvious he only knows a little bit. He's not super well versed in it, but he does know some. So they call him seed picker as an insult because it's like he only really knows seeds of some of these things. I, um, I think that's worth bringing out too. I, I think entirely too much is made of Paul's education uh, in 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 the Greek language and Greek philosophy. It's 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 presumed and assumed, um, you know, that he was entirely conversant in Greek philosophy um, and even the Greek language. Uh, when, as you're pointing out, the fact that he was literally called a seed picker uh, by Greek philosophers uh, because it was apparent to them that he didn't know that much, right? He had to, he had to, you know, pick seeds of what he did know to try and actually have an intelligent conversation with them. And they made fun of him for it because he, he didn't really know that much. Yeah. So, the, uh, and he, he had a scribe write, write some of his letters because his Greek, although he could speak it and, and write it, uh, not to the uh, not to the effect that would be flu the fluidity would not be one hundred percent there. He, he had he had assistance because he needed a little bit of assistance, not his first language. Um, so later on, oh, and I didn't make this banner. 
um, with this disconnect from the rabbinical as being, and so this is part of the disconnect from the Pharisees. Um, we are going to get into the difference between halacha and commandments and this focus on ritual purity. Uh, so don't let me forget to bring that back up as we get into the theology of Paul later on in the episode. Yep. Um, but next, another reason why is the synagogue politics of his day. Not a lot of people are aware of the synagogue politics of his day. Uh, and that's a very important aspect to why he writes letters in the first place. Um, so it, we're going to get into in other episodes, uh, but like one, one thing, uh, I actually just mentioned it, ritual purity focus. That's part of the synagogue politics, mm -hmm. and it ends up becoming a problem later on, and that's why he ends up having to write, like, the letter to Galatians specifically is, is about nothing but synagogue politics. It's basically just synagogue politics. <clears throat> now, Galatians particularly is actually looking specifically at the issue of whether or not you should convert, but it's based entirely on the politics that are leading people to think that they need to convert in order to be saved. So, um, you know, something we have forgotten to bring up too, just regarding the letters uh, of Paul in general that you just reminded me of, um, they, they are reviewing, right? Sermons that were preached in person at many of these communities. I think Romans is the only one uh, where he hadn't actually been there. Uh, but for, for all of the others, uh, he, Paul had traveled there and he had spoken with these people and, and then left and wrote letters concerning what he had already spoken about uh, to these communities. So we're not really getting a full conversation. We're getting the footnotes of what was likely a much broader much more in-depth conversation right yeah, that, that's, that's what these letters are they're footnotes <clears throat> this is actually our last point for the episode but we'll talk about it right now why did paul write these letters what we know and what we don't know so like what we do know is paul wrote letters a lot which is actually very characteristic of gamliel gamliel also wrote a lot of letters uh and so it's it's like him taking after his master it makes sense um here's what we don't know though 90% of the picture. Uh, essentially, the only the only thing we really know about Paul is what he wrote in his letters, which is very, very, very little, actually. It's, it's not a lot of information and in what's written about him from his assistant Luke in the book of Acts. It's actually not a lot of information. We think we know a lot. We really don't. We only have a, a bit and piece of the picture. The only reason Paul wrote a letter to begin with is because he couldn't be there himself to address the issue. So it's already a, we're not only coming into half the conversation, we're coming into a third of the conversation, and we're only coming into a third of one side of the conversation. We don't right. have the other two thirds and the other sides third as well to go with that. We, we're, we're missing a really large chunk of the picture. Um, and so what we don't know about Paul is actually quite a bit, and that's normal in history, especially with historical figures in this day, you know, Judaism is a very oral centric, um, sort of culture. It's, it's very much like an in-person, very personable, uh, traditional passed down type of religion. And so writing things down is not super common. 
And we'll get into that later when we talk about the Mishnah. Um, but uh, yeah, it, a, a lot of uh, basically those letters are written to very pointed audiences about very specific problems. They're already they already have a developed relationship with the author Paul, and so there is a rhetoric, there is a piece of this picture that we have that we're totally missing. And it's very much this parent-child relationship that Paul seems to have with his communities. And so there's a lot of this like parent-child rhetoric that you're going to see in some of these letters that aren't really meant to be taken literally, um, but are, you know, part of, part of the part and parcel of being a parent. An example uh, of what I mean by like parent rhetoric is like Galatians is a, is a good example. Basically what Galatians is saying from Paul's perspective in like a short roundabout way is he's saying, well, if your friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump off with them? That's the kind of parental rhetoric that we're dealing with in like Galatians, for example. But when you freeze frame the letter and then rethaw that letter back out 2000 years from now with the, the entire half the conversation completely missing, you totally miss that rhetoric is even there. And when you read that, you think that maybe that is meant to be interpreted one way or another. Um, so there's a lot of kind of uh, we, we have to really roll back a lot historically uh, in order to kind of get down. <clears throat> this is why evangelical sola scriptura is dangerous. I really couldn't agree more on that. Uh, that brings that brings us to one of the points really that is worth addressing, though, again, as to why Paul is misunderstood um, is the definition of scripture, right? We have a definition of scripture that we work with today that was not Paul's definition of scripture. Um, I know, you know, the the dissenting opinions right now are thinking, well, you just referenced 2 Peter 3.16. It's like, yes, 2 Peter 3.16 isn't calling Paul's letter scripture, All right? You have to examine the whole statement. Peter's saying that in his letters, Paul speaks about some things that are hard to grasp, Right. And then the uneducated and unstable twist Paul's letters to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures, right? We're, we're referring to the things in Paul's letters, right? That is what is being included in the other scriptures, because what are the things that Paul addresses in his letters? The scriptures. What would have actually been considered the scriptures by the Jews at this time. Um, yeah, I'm glad you brought it up because I made a banner for it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> it's like and we it, had a meeting before we did the show. <laughs> it's it, it's fascinating um, because what they considered scripture back then um, was uh, a lot a lot more than what we consider scripture today. Um, yeah, <laughs> and it you know it's funny. I had a conversation uh, about this just the other day uh, with someone. Right. <laughs> um, I, I had a conversation about this the other day because I, in the conversation, uh, the person was kind of really leaning in the, in the direction of, you know, well, we really just should stick with what the scripture says. External sources are fine and dandy, but like, we need to stick with what scripture says. And, and so then that, that, that spawned the question like, okay, um, what, 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 what do we mean by that? And, and so he was like, well, the authors of the New Testament affirm the Old Testament. And I'm like, well, hold on. Let's back up there. The authors of the New Testament didn't have an Old Testament, right? The, the Old Testament was not canonized in, in the first century, right? That didn't come about until the second century. So there was 
a wide array of writings that the authors of the New Testament would have called and considered scripture. Um, I what I what I told him is that the ironic part about what he said is if the, if we're going to use the writings of the New Testament as a basis for what we determine to be scripture based on their affirmation, you have to include the Mishnah and you have to include the Midrash. In because fact, both are appealed to throughout the New Testament. Uh, to, to go even further, you know, it, it, yeah, actually you basically said it. If we, if we are going to say that the New Testament determines and affirms what scripture is, then the Mishnah is, is now considered scripture because the, uh, the New Testament leans so heavily on Mishnaic principles. Uh, my favorite example of this is always Acts, um, I think it's four or five, where, uh, Stephen's, um, death. Uh, and he gives an account right, of like basic Israeli history um, right before he sees the heavens open up and they stone him to death. His entire account, almost none of that, like even the skeleton of that account is not in the Torah. When he talks about like Moses' age and, and everything else throughout that whole thing, almost none of that's actually in the Torah. None of that information is there. And nobody stops him. Nobody corrects him. They seem to just totally accept what he's saying is truth and everything's good to go until he sees the heavens open up and then he says, I see the Son of Man sit at the right hand of power. That's when they start to get a little mad. <laughs> but what what Stephen is quoting is entirely Mishnaic, which, again, for those wondering, I have the Mishnah set right here behind me. At the time, it wasn't written down. At least much of it wasn't. Uh, there's There are portions that were written down of the Mishnah in their day, just not all of it. It would finally complete its compilation in the early late first early second century uh it would finish its compilation mm -hmm. uh and it's funny is the opening line of this so the mishnah is what we call the oral torah and uh, we get a lot of pushback you know is oh well you know jesus was always against the oral torah that's not entirely true there are parts uh that are that he might be against the oral torah but there are parts in the mishnah where it's against itself right it's 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 a conversation of between rabbis and different halakhic standings and so uh, you can't just say he opposed the Mishnah. You can oppose parts of it, and that's fine. Well, not even not even parts. I, I like. I'll go ahead and, and make a pretty bold statement regarding that. <clears throat> Jesus was actually almost never against the Mishnah, um, and and I love it when that gets brought up in a conversation because the only example they can ever give you is with regard to washing hands before eating. <laughs> it's literally the only example they can come up with where. You can actually see any argumentation uh, between Yeshua and the Pharisees regarding their traditions. Um, that that's the only specific tradition that you can point out. But we also <laughs> got another good comment here regarding this exact topic. Also consider the implicit biases of the copyists within the first two centuries after the autographs. Also none of the apostolic writings would be considered scripture except perhaps revelation. This is true. Um, Very true. And uh, this, this, so a, a lot of information on that can actually be found. Uh, again, our dissenters are going to uh, cringe as soon as I say the name. Um, <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, uh, the last word on this subject and uh, somebody who has the most extensive and thorough work on this is going to be Bart Ehrman. I. Uh, he, you know, <laughs> sorry. I mean, Unfortunately, the guy who knows the most about the the texts that we call the New Testament is not a believer. 
Well, I mean, there's uh, so there's Bart Ehrman, there's E.P. Sanders, there's Jacob um, News. I can't remember his last name. We actually got a couple of uh, older scholars. Uh, Lawrence, where is that guy's name? Jacob something. Uh, starts with an N. I just can't remember the the source right now off the top of my head. Uh, but yeah, Bart Ehrman is is, you know, love him or hate him, he is uh, very well educated. But more to the point with this whole thing, um, what did Paul consider scripture is being the main question here. Uh, let me pull that back up. Basically, what we're trying to tell you is keep in mind that news nerd. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you. Um, what, what, we're, what we're trying to say here is that, there, you know, the, the Torah and the prophets and the writings, the Tanakh, uh, we don't we don't use the the term Old Testament here. <clears throat> um, that's a that's a um, Marcion invention. Yeah. We don't we don't really do that. Uh, plus, yeah, we don't everyone like hated Marcion anyway. He was kind of a jerk. But uh, <laughs> so, but when you say scripture, when you say like the word Torah, for example, to a Jewish mind, and this is both modern and ancient, you cannot separate that from the Mishnaic material. It, it, they are one and the same. They are two sides of the same coin, and they are inseparable. Even though one was not written down until a little later, and one was written down, when you say Torah to a Jew, there isn't, we have two Torahs. I mean, they will say words like we have two Torahs, but they're really just one and the same. You can't separate the two. Yeah, if you say Torah to a Jew, he's not he's not in his head thinking, oh, only that which was written down that we call, you know, the uh, the Pentateuch. Right. Yeah. They, they, they in their head are thinking that and the, the oral tradition, right. That they're, they're, those two are not separate in their mind. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> see, everyone seems to know Jacob Neusner, but me for some reason just now, but, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so it, that, that level of separation uh, to a Jewish mind, in fact, you can't understand the written without the oral. Like it's kind of you need one and the other together in order to actually have a full picture of scripture. So when we talk kinda about like, <laughs> kind of like we would have had to have been at the synagogue when Paul was preaching his sermon <laughs> to fully understand what he means in his letter. I mean, even when he wrote a letter, uh, he sent a, a lawyer, which is a fancy way of saying another rabbi, probably. Um, and, and, and a messenger with his letter for clarity purposes, because you can't cover everything in writing. It's just, you would have to write volumes of books <laughs> just to cover the basics. Um, and, uh, yeah, like even this, the Mishnah, this is only a portion of what would be considered the oral Torah, the oral tradition. Um, because later clarity would be, need to be had on this. And that's when you have the, in, the, the, the Gemara kind of come in and clarify what the Mishnah says. And then you have the eventual creation of the Talmud, which is like the Tosefta, uh, stepping in with the Gemara, you know, needs in the, the Baraita stepping in and filling in other blanks until you have this massive document of nothing but oral tradition collected into one, uh, two attempts were made at this, the Babylonian Talmud and the Jerusalem Talmud. The, the oral tradition is it's almost impossible to fully write it down and, that, and that's that's part of the whole thing um, of what Paul would consider scripture is that parts of there are parts in the Mishnah 
that he absolutely would have considered scripture and he would not have differentiated between the written and the oral. He, he would have sort of seen it as, well, th this oral tradition is just hinted at in the written. Um, and so that's a, that's a, a big important part of the misunderstanding aspect when it comes to Paul. Yep. Um, and, uh, why, you know, it's part of why we see him, um, in what's the word I'm looking for? We see him, uh, I, I don't want to say mandating, that sounds almost stronger than what it is, but uh, we see him instituting in certain of these communities, um, not even just Torah law, uh, you know, as far as what's written in, in the Torah, um, but clearly Pharisaic standards of community behavior, right? I mean, his, his comments on, on, on women in head coverings, that's... I'm, sorry that's not written in the torah um that is that's something that clearly comes from pharisaic doctrine and and the oral torah so one quick uh this one quick thing that we can cover real fast actually is this halacha versus uh commandments i said it like an Ashkenaz just now halacha excuse me <laughs> halacha like i'm <laughs> like i'm a yid <laughs> when i'm not um so um th th okay so in Greek, we have essentially the one word for law, nomos. And in, and in uh, English, we, we also sort of just have the one word for law, law, more or less. There are different like circumlocutions and different ways of saying like commandments, judgments, um, statutes, ordinances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, but for the most part, so the word halakha comes from the root of the word halakh, which means to walk. Now, a commandment is the written code. That's the commandment. A halakha is how you do that commandment, and that would usually differentiate di differ between different rabbis. They would have different opinions on how to walk out halakh that particular commandment, and it was based uh, largely on oral tradition. And here's the thing: even though the word halakh or halakha means to walk, it means your walk. Even though that's what it means, that's not what the Jewish people mean to say when they say that. Halakha right. is used interchangeably with the word law because they consider that to be a legal ruling. It is a lawful, legally binding ruling by a, a Sanhedrin or a rabbi of a community, a, a head rav, what have you. So they consider that to be law. Now, it wouldn't be the law, it wouldn't be the commandments, but it would be the halakha. They, they would use that word as law. So there are gonna, there are going to be times in Paul's letters where we're going to see him use the word nomos in very different contexts. And we cannot assume every time that the word nomos means Torah because it doesn't always mean Torah. And that's a mistake that actually the, the CJB, the um, Complete Jewish Bible by David Stern, good translation, he did a good job. Um, but he almost always invariably uh, translates the word nomos as Torah. And I actually disagree with that position. I, I think that that's not really a good, um, it's not always one for one like that. So that's right. something that we're going to go over. Something to keep in the back of your head as we move forward with this is that halacha, which it, it, and that's something that Paul, <clears throat> so like what Paul considered scripture, in fact, on that point, what did Paul think of his own letters? Paul would have thought of his own letters as most likely halachic rulings, as, as, as sort of, this is my law to you 
in a roundabout way of saying this is this is how i want you to walk this is my law for you this is the halakha and and um the head coverings is a great example that that is not a torah command that is a halakhic ruling that, that's still law to him but it's not the same type of law again we only have one word for it uh <laughs> so and it is so this subject actually it, it's still uh it goes right into another another topic that i i think is important for us to touch on um <clears throat> regarding you know especially when we're when we're talking about what paul considered scripture um, and then it, its effect on his letters, uh, you know, in, in the form of these halakhic rulings, right? Um, so we have the question of what Paul would consider scripture, mm -hmm. uh, but we, we also have the question of how would Paul have interpreted what he considered scripture? It's like you read my mind. Right. <laughs> it's like we met before the show and made sure that our notes were straight. <laughs> oh, so parties. Now, a lot of you, a lot of you who stick around, right? You, you guys come to the after parties where yeah. you know, uh, especially it's awesome when Seamus and I like over prepare for an episode and then we don't get to go through all of our notes because then we have an after parties where we go through the rest of our notes and it's awesome um <laughs> bunch of parties animals <laughs> so but what what does that stand for why have you why, why have you spelled it with certain letters being capitalized and others not oh because it's sarcasm i'm kidding hard <laughs> it um no so it's an acronym it's a hebrew acronym um P-R-D-S, the A and the E are just filler to make the acronym kind of sound like a word. Uh, P is the Hebrew shot, meaning the plain meaning. R is or, or the literal interpretation. Yeah, the literal, like the plain literal, like that's what the, that's what this says. In its context, everything together, this is the shot. Like, what does it say? That's the shot, more or less. Um, not always uh, so simple, but by and large, that's the shot. R is remez, and this is the implied or hinted at meaning and what like this is yeah the other layer of of meaning so to speak right it's, it's so 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 we've got we've got what it literally says um where uh, i i guess uh what what's an example of something that is uh that is somewhat dispute oh well here's a good example right um in isaiah where uh god is addressing the king of tyre right mm. A lot of people understand this to be a reference to Satan. Well, according to Peshat, the literal interpretation, that's absolutely not true. Literally, he's talking to the king of Tyre. Yeah. Now, the remez is, it sounds like he's ta also talking about the serpent in the garden. And that could be a remez. That could be a hinted at. Yeah, I like the word hint, a hinted at meaning. Um a lot of remez can also be something like uh, Mashiach ben Yosef. So when we compare Messiah to Joseph, what we see in the Joseph story, these can be hints of the, the Messiah, right. right? These are remez. Um, my favorite one is actually the D here, the Daresh. Yep. Um, it's it's the root for the word Midrash, Drash, Daresh. And, and it means, it's it's like a good way of putting like dog dogma or doctrine rather. Doctrine is probably a really good word for it, uh, but Duresh comes from the root to puzzle together. So it's when you are making these connections that are of pieces that have similar shape, where they fit together, and you create a doctrine from that. 
it's 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 uh, yeah it, it's also it's the comparative um you know it one one, one, one one example of this you know being uh the the so the two great commandments right to love the lord your god uh, and to love to love one's neighbor um both of these commands begin with vehafta right and you shall love uh, mm-hmm. they come from completely separate books but they're they're married together because when you compare them they begin with almost identical phrasing not not almost literally identical phrasing um one of my favorite examples of this too though is that because you know uh, very well that Hebrew is a language that is extremely dependent on its vocalizations, mm. right? <laughs> um, and so one one set of Hebrew letters could actually make up more than one word depending on how you vocalize it, right? Color, Where you place with vowels. Yeah. Now this is this is a this is a method that's used in in uh, Pharisaic exegesis, right? Is, is to change the vocalization of a word in a particular passage and, and see what it renders, right? What, what do we get if we change the way that that's vocalized? Mm-hmm. Um, because an original Torah scroll didn't have vocalizations in it. Uh, you just had so, to know, which is why right. the oral tradition was actually so important. Right. Um, <laughs> now, I, I have heard a lot of people um, disagree with this method. It's, you can't just change the way that a, ver- that a word is vocalized and, you know, see what you get. I mean, it might be nice, but it's it's not binding, right? It doesn't actually mean anything. And and uh, I, I have to disagree because in Jeremiah, God himself affirms this method of exegesis, right? He, he, he shows Jeremiah a vision. And then he asks him, what do you see? Jeremiah says, I see an almond tree, which is, Seamus, our Hebrew word. Shaked. Right. God says, exactly, because I am always watching to see that my will is done. Seamus, what is that word for I am always watching? Shoked. (laughs) It's the same three Hebrew letters, but they have different vocalizations. So God, God showed jeremiah an almond tree so he'd be thinking shaked and then make the connection that it sounds very similar to shoked and that's the intention that god so god has affirmed this method of exegesis right that that's just plain in the prophets sucks to suck well it's inherent in the language it's it's a very hebrew thing to do uh the the midrash is full of this stuff uh i i did a tiktok a while back on um you know the abortion issue and uh, one of the Hebrew words for abortion is uh, nephalim, and it's spelled exactly the same as the nephilim, right. it, but different vocalizations. So the Midrash says, well, the reason they were called nephilim was because of their many nephalim, their many abortions. So they they were they had so many abortions, so they got the nickname nephilim, and that's that's what the Midrash is using basically wordplay to develop that uh, that connection. Very very common. Uh, in the method of Darash. And we're going to see Paul use a lot of these first three in his method. And a lot of people are going to say, well, he's taking a lot of the stuff out of context. Okay, according to our current method of study, sure, it would be weird for us. It's not weird for Jewish exegesis. This is very, very common. Uh, Like the whole, the, the Shema, you know, it's not in the heavens that you should go up Right and, and say who will go up and grab it for us. It's not in uh, in the valley below. Um, and 
Paul takes that very similar phrasing and he's like, well, this is Messiah. And he, he's like, why everyone's like, we're well, taking it wildly out of context. No, he's not actually, he's doing Daresh in that particular um, yep. uh, method there. But the last piece is, and we don't have time for this last piece, Sod, which means the mystical, uh, mystical interpretation. That's and my we, favorite. Yeah, I know it is. Uh, and it's actually one of my least favorite. I, I prefer Daresh my, myself. <laughs> Um, but you're more the philosopher than I am. I'm just a historian, so whatever. <laughs> uh, so the Peshat and the Darash to me are the, the two, my two favorites. But that's all we'll say about Sod for now. Uh, we will, as, as we need to, we will clarify Sod when we get to um, more mystical things that come from Paul. Paul rarely uses Sod in a lot of his letters because his, his audience is a Gentile audience by and large. And, and they're not sort of ready for that. Uh, I, I, I would say just in addition to that, right? Because, you know, the soda is the mystical. And when you say the word mystical, certain a certain idea gets conjured in the mind. Um, I'm going to go ahead and tell everybody, toss, toss whatever idea of mysticality you have aside, uh, because that's that's not what it means in this context. Yeah. Um, it's it, it's it's much more practical than you think. And, uh, and like Seamus said, Paul doesn't use it a lot, but when he does use it, it's very important to understand that that is what you're looking at. Um, as a matter of fact, I don't know if you've got the quote, but, but Paul Philip Levertov, um, author of Love in the Messianic Age, right? He, he wrote this book specifically because when he read through the New Testament, in particular, John and Paul, the, as, as a Hasidic Jew, his first inclination was, oh, gosh, Christians don't know anything about so they don't know anything about about you know Kabbalah they don't know Zohar they don't know Tanya like they don't know what they're reading yeah he, he basically was like no wonder they are where they're at they have no idea what they're looking at <laughs> this is and then he says uh in the book he says this is our document not theirs to, to say that this is a Jewish document this is not a Christian document he was actually the first time he read through it he was legitimately confused he really thought he was reading a Jewish document Right. Um, his, his reaction was sort of like, who's this Yeshua guy? I need to, like, why am I just now hearing about him? Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, and, and, and part of what I had just said, misunderstanding his audience. This is actually uh, an important piece. We tend to over-stupefy Paul's audience. We tend to think of, first of all, we tend to think of his audience as being us, right? We read ourselves into the text. Big mistake, number one. But number two... We also tend to think that his audience has zero familiarity with Judaism, period. And so we assume that they're as dumb as a box of rocks. They have no no foundational like uh, Jewish knowledge at all. And so because Paul doesn't reiterate certain things, that means he never talked about it to begin with. First of all, it's basically an argument from silence. Um, but also you're assuming that the, the Roman world wasn't familiar with Judaism in some way or aspect. I would actually venture to say, that Paul's audience and that the Roman world was more familiar with Judaism than 90% of the people who, uh, well, I can't say 90% of all of our viewers because a lot of our viewers actually are familiar, but 90% of Christians particularly, I would say, don't know even the first thing about Judaism. They, they think they have an idea, but they really don't. Um, Reality. So that's part of the why, going back, why is Paul misunderstood? Primarily because 
most most Christians don't know the first thing about Judaism. Period. They don't know where to begin. They 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 think that they kind of have an idea. They do not have an idea. They're not even close. Paul Paul is misunderstood because he was a Pharisee, and 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 what adds to that is the fact that Christians have no concept of what Pharisees actually believed. Uh, the only exposure that they get to the Pharisees comes from the New Testament, uh, and that alone leaves a lot to be desired in the way of explaining uh, who the Pharisees were and what Pharisaic doctrine is. Which is our next point, in fact. Um, so we're not going to go, so we have up here like the principles of faith. I actually think we're not going to go over that today. We're running low on time anyway. Yep. Um, and we've done Pardes already. Uh, so now things about Judaism that need to be known universally before moving forward within the series, there's actually, we've, we've gone over quite a bit already. Um, so the, the next part is, is little things like what does discipleship even mean? Like what is the Pharisees idea of discipleship? Um, and, uh, so first and foremost, actually one thing we need to point out again, Paul was a Pharisee. Uh, he lived and died a Pharisee, multiple, and that's not just us saying this. Like we didn't pull this out of our whatever <laughs> and and make that up. Uh, multiple sources say this. Multiple scholastic sources, like E. P. Sanders, Jacob Neusner, uh, Pamela Eisenbaum. Uh, we got Tim Hag as well. Um, I like I like his book, The Letter Writer, particularly. Pamela Eisenbaum's uh, Paul Was Not a Christian is one of my favorite books. Not just because the title is is a, is a gotcha title, but it's it's actually a very very well written book. Um, but yeah, so his mentor, right? So like his mm. his rabbi Gamliel, you you know him. One, one, one of the greatest Pharisees of history. I mean, you you talk about a name drop. That's that's a name drop. Uh, Rabban Gamliel is no slouch, <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, he becomes president of the Sanhedrin. He gets the the title Rabban uh, because he was the first um, minority leader, president of the Sanhedrin, and leader of the Pharisee group um, of his kind. And he was such a master that Rabban, Rabenu, right? Rabban means our master. Um, Rabenu is our teacher. Uh, so it, I think it's Aramaic, but uh, he. he this is not, again, not a slouch. This guy is a big name in Mishnaic and Talmudic literature. Yep. Um, and this is Paul's rabbi we're talking about. So Paul's education is top notch, top tier. We're 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 above just normal thirteen year old Jewish boy schooling level. We're we're talking as high as it goes in the ancient days. Um. So. What what. Uh, I think one of the final things we wanted to mention is is this, right? Because really, the, 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 everything that we've said tonight has been under this one umbrella of the disconnect from Phariseeism that really is at the root of misunderstanding Paul, right? If there's, if there's one answer that, that you can give to why is Paul misunderstood, he was a Pharisee, and Christians don't know anything about Pharisees. That's as simple as the answer is. We've gone into a little bit of depth to explain that, um, you know, different aspects of, of, of things that we see in Paul's letters uh, that if you, if you don't know what you're looking for, you're not going to understand when you're looking at it. Um, 
but oh. it, it ultimately that's what it sums up to and this is partially because christians don't understand that the very foundation of the christian religion in and of itself is pharisaic doctrine yes uh the, the idea of the resurrection that's a pharisee belief the idea um, of a messiah that's a pharisee belief uh there's other sects of judaism that have that sure um, but very particularly the version of Messiah that we're familiar with that, that eventually becomes the foundation of New Testament writings is a Pharisaic version. Uh, what's considered scripture, the Tanakh, the, the, the Christian Old Testament, the Tanakh, that's the Pharisees version of scripture. It's, it's not the Sadducees version. It's not the Essenes or the Ebionites. It's very specifically the Pharisees version of scripture. Um, a lot of Christianity sort of needs to come to terms with the fact that their religion is largely Pharisaic in nature. Uh, they have nobody but the Pharisees to thank for the the belief system that they, they currently hold on to, that you currently have. Um, and so uh, one of the goals of the series is to reinsert the Pharisee, Paul the Pharisee, back into his letters. Uh, one of a, a close friend of ours who will go unnamed until he wants us to tell us, uh, tell you guys who he is. Um, but he sent us a text the other day. You know, he, he's he's been uh, talking with us a while about Pharisaic Judaism, and and, and uh, we've been giving him things here and there and some reading material. And long story short, he sends us a text randomly one day, and he's like, you know what? He's like, I've I've been reading this stuff for many many years, uh, and I read through some of the stuff you guys sent me, and now that I know what ancient Judaism is. I see it everywhere in the New Testament. And all I can think is, how did I miss that before? And it's like, because you didn't know what you were looking for before. You saw it and you're like, oh, this is a brand new idea. But now th this guy sends us a text and he's like, this was every, how did I miss this? I'm such an idiot. And we're like, dude, don't be so hard on yourself. It's okay. You didn't know what you were looking for. We, so you couldn't, we were all there. Yeah. You, but, you wouldn't know how to identify it if it was in front of your face. So, but now that you know what you're looking for, you can spot, you, you, you know it when you see it now. And that's the difference. So we're, we are trying to train you guys in this series moving forward on how to spot the things that uh, have largely gone overlooked. Yeah. Yep. It's a hard conversation. You know, it, it, it it's almost like you, you really have to expose yourself to it. Um, because, I mean, how, how else in a conversation with somebody who is arguing the generic Christian position on Paul... Um, how do you look them in the eye and in humility tell them, hey, guy, like, look, I'm aware of all of the information that you're trying to share with me. The difference between us is that you're not aware of the information that I am trying to share with you. <laughs> it's going to take a lot. of. This is going to be a big series. Um, you know, the, the Trinity series that we're working on is uh, we still need to revisit that. By the way, it's been a minute. Uh, that's easily going to be a 10 part series. This is probably going to be a 10 part series as well. Yep. We're going to try and be, as again, as thorough and as scholastic as possible. We're using plenty of different source materials. Um, and this is just the intro. This is the foundation. These are things that you have to know moving forward as constants, right? Like in a formula, you have variables and constants. These are the constants that you need to be aware of as we move forward uh, through the series. And so um, let, uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. I think that was our last. So things that we're going to do in the series. Um, we're going to try and lay out each episode. Uh, we're going to, we're going to go over in greater detail ideas that we've talked about here. We're going to build upon what's, what's here in the foundation. We're going to build upon some of these ideas. 
Um, we are also going to uh, address who the audience is in each letter. We're going to try and give you a background of all of that synagogue politics. We're going to try and give you a background of who exactly he's talking to. What do they already know? What are the presuppositions uh, that are built into the letter on the audience? And what are the presuppositions of Paul? What can, what can we know about those things? We're going to go over that information uh, and we're going to do it by topic. So we're not going to just walk through Romans, Galatians, Philippians, Philemon, and all the non-disputed letters. We're actually going to tackle each topic one by one and see within uh, all of the material that's available to us what he had to say uh, about that particular topic while going back over and into um, all of those contexts that are required. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, <clears throat> and we intend to prove at the end of the series that not only was, was did Paul live and die a Pharisee, um, but that he's draw he's not really teaching anything new, that he's actually drawing on his rabbinic knowledge uh, in order to write these letters. He, he very much didn't create anything brand new. Um, and we so we, we I guess we intend to prove a couple things. Nothing new, um, not particularly new. We're going to go over like what he was a Pharisee, so Pharisees have a theology. What is different about his theology, if anything, from his to the, the stereotype Pharisee theology. So we're gonna have an episode dedicated to some of that stuff. Um, and uh, we intend to prove more or less that Paul lived and died a, a an observant, Torah observant, Orthodox Jewish man. Yeah, I um, would say, yeah, one of the things that, that fits into that is, is you know, we're, we intend to prove that Paul not only defended the Torah, um, but also the oral tradition. Right. He's he's not just he's not just teaching pro Torah to his 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 audiences, contrary to popular belief. He's straight up teaching Pharisaic doctrine. Yeah. And then we, we also we're going to show uh, what happened. Where in church history did we lose that? We're, we're going to go over that. Uh, some of that is the Greek philosophical, uh, the Greek philosophical influence, the lack of Jewish leadership in, in uh, post temple period, early Christianity. Um, and, uh, some of the ideas that came out of that, that, that have resulted in the split, the parting of ways, if you will. Um, and so, yeah, we've, we've got a, we've got a large series ahead of us. We've got a ton of notes here. Not everything we could have touched on tonight. We're actually two minutes over, but whatever. Um, uh, what else? I think. That's essentially that's that's what you guys have to look forward to. That's that's what's going to be done in the in the coming future. We're going to try and spend a lot of time on this series. So uh, next week we are going to tackle the conversion question, right? So that's part of the whole better call Paul, right? To convert or not to convert, better call Paul. So we're going to go next week. Next episode is dedicated on the question of what did Paul think about conversion? What's the context behind it all? Uh, what is he dealing with? What what is what is the the, the political climate, the socioeconomic uh, climate uh, that's that's relevant? Believe it or not, the synagogue politics, uh, and and so we got a lot to look forward to. And then we've got other topics picked for the future. But next week, keep an eye out. We're going to go over conversion. Yep, it'll be uh that that'll be an exciting one. Uh, that's that'll be uh you know enlightening on the book of Galatians. So. Ha, 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 ha.
Uh, and I got one. One what? Work. I got one more banner I want to put up. Okay. Boom. <laughs> right. No matter how you slice it, Paul did not, Paul was not a Christian, right? The word Christian is a very, very loaded term. Um, now, by the, if you take just the strictest definition of the word Christian as somebody who follows the Messiah, okay, yeah. But he was not a Christian by any stretch of the way we understand Christianity today. And it's actually a, a, a phrase he would never use to refer to himself. It's probably a phrase that he died before ever hearing. Um, like Luke writes yeah. about it in 85 about the word uh, in Acts. He's like, this is where the first place where they're called Christians. But uh, Paul dies in like 66, 68 AD. It's likely that he never even heard the word by the time he dies. Right. Um, to, to Paul was operating within Judaism, not apart from it. Paul yep. was Paul saw himself as a sect within Pharisaic Judaism, uh, and that this Christianity thing was not by any means a completely different religion. This was this was still a synagogue going, uh, Pharisaic based religion based entirely on the teachings of one Pharisee, in particular the Messiah, and another amazing, heavily trained, great Pharisee who, who, who learned at the feet of one of the best Pharisees ever lived, um, the Pharisee, Rabbi Paul. It's a very, very heavily Pharisaic uh, thing. So we, we intend to go over again, of course, uh, proving those points in the series so but that's the main point from today's episode paul's not a christian <laughs> Whether you like it or not he didn't convert on the road to damascus he didn't get a new name on the road to damascus he had an experience uh and that changed his perspective on some things but he did not come out of judaism um he, he very much operated within it yep so yeah definitely uh I'm, I'm excited i think i think this is probably overdue we should have done this like last year sometime <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you know i'm i'm glad we waited because now we got a a baller of a producer uh who is killing it right now in the whole producing section making dude, this this, this dude out <laughs> does it every time we come up with a new concept like i swear every time we come up with something new we're gonna do i'm just like dude what's austin gonna do next <laughs> yeah it, i always feel bad too i'm like hey austin can you uh pull up like a new intro for the series that we're thinking of doing and he's like oh yeah it would take me like six hours to do it. He does it in 20 minutes and it's the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so he's the man. We, uh, we love you, Austin. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, we got to do a quick shout out to our top tier patrons as always. Oh yeah. Um, pull that up because I don't know where it is. There it is. Yeah. We love you guys. Uh, sorry that some of your names are being cut off halfway. Uh, so um, I wasn't planning on pulling it up right now. Um, <laughs> that's partly why. Oh, uh, well, I'm sorry that I jumped the gun. There we are. I didn't mean to do that. Overlay monitor, no names, nameless. Boom, there it is. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not our producer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so actually, I wanted to pull it up like this, but we can't. Then we can't Lechaim. So we got to go Lechaim first. Right, right. Oh, so we're gonna lachaim first. I mean, coming. not first, but we gotta lachaim before we close okay, up, right? You can't just say, yeah. Well, we gotta thank the people first. They're like, they're they're 
they 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 pay for this. <laughs> they do. They make this happen. Uh, you guys are the reason that this looks the way that it does. So thank you to all of our heretics patreons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. And moving forward, hopefully, uh, so we're we're, we're again, this is going to be heavily scholastic. A lot of show notes are going to be made. Uh, and hopefully these show notes uh, will be able to make available uh, for the Patreons to like to have all the show notes. So they have all the sources available in writing. So if you want to become a, a patron, starts at a dollar. Uh, and uh, that could even be the, uh, you know, thanks to all of our lovely paying patron, Proud Heretics. Um, the This series could end up turning into a published book, which is which would be a great uh, thing that we would love to be able to do with all of Absolutely. this information. Um, we're certainly not the first and we won't be the last to ever do a thing like that, but it's something that we definitely want to get done. So, uh, absolutely. Uh, so, so let's as see. always, we will see you all in the after part as for those of you who will be there, those of you who are not sure what that is. Uh, if you become a paying Patreon member, you get exclusive access to a certain part of our discord server. Uh, where you can chill with us after the show. Uh, We'll be there. It's a live chat session. You can ask us questions about tonight, ask us questions about things that we didn't talk about tonight, Um, roast us, give us us feedback, uh, what would you like to see next kind of stuff. So uh, definitely something worth considering. Memberships start as low as a dollar, and they get you all of those privileges. Um, So without further ado, uh, we hope to see everybody in the after part as, as always, and look out.